Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hello, and welcome to episode number 303 of The Freelancer Show. This week, your panel is me, Reuven Lerner. Uh, the others on the panel were unable to sync up with our weekly schedule. Uh, we're all busy with our own businesses and families, and so I'm just doing this solo edition this week. And as so often happens when I do these solo editions, I'm talking about uh, something training-related, since most of my freelancing work, I would say even all nowadays of my freelancing work, has to do with training in some way or another, and specifically Python-related training, although that doesn't really need to affect you or interest you so much. And the topic I want to discuss today is creating a new course. The how, the why, the what, the marketing, the pricing, the adjustments, the timing, all that other stuff. So. I now have in my stable of courses, I guess about eight or nine different courses that I teach on a very regular basis, probably about two or three others that I teach on a less regular basis. And it's not like the first time I started teaching, I said, oh yes, I have these 10 courses I can teach. No, no, they've grown over time. And I would also add that it's rare for some client to come to me and say, we need a course that does X, Y, Z. More often, they're interested in seeing what I have to offer. Um, and then they will pick from those. It's sort of like if you go to the supermarket, you are going to pick from the things that are on the shelf. You're not going to say, gee, I really wish this supermarket also sold such and such. Um, and then go to the manager and say, you should really sell such and such. Uh, by the way, I've tried this a few times. For example, our local natural food store. In Israel, it's very hard to get chunky peanut butter without sweetening, without sugar in it. Um, and so I went to a natural food store and they had lots of peanut butter without any sweetener in it. Uh, but none of the chunky type. And I asked the manager if they could get it. And he just sort of rolled his eyes and said, yes, of course, we'll be right on it, or words to that effect. Meaning, no way, not in your lifetime. So I did what most other people would do if they don't find something in a store, and I found another source for what I want to get. And that's what what's going to happen with your courses. If you can offer 10 different courses, then your clients will see you as the person who offers 10 different courses. But if you offer eight courses, they're probably not going to come to you and say, hey, we have this idea for a ninth or even a 10th course. They just won't see it as something you're offering, and so they'll go to another vendor. So creating new courses is a good thing to do in general, both because it um, allows you to make more money, right? You're offering more potential products, and that means more people might be interested in buying what you have. It allows you to upsell to your existing clients. So when I moved from just having an intro Python course to having an advanced Python course, well, now I could double the number of sales I could do to each of my clients. Also, 
many people think that they want the advanced course. Uh, truth be told, very often I get there and they need the beginning course, the intro course, but that's a, a separate issue altogether. But basically it means that I can now offer them a wider variety of things. And the same client who finishes with course number one can go to course number two, from course number two to course number three, and upsell in that way. So it's additional um, potential income from them. Another reason to do it is, as I said, they see you as more of an authority. They see you as someone who can offer them more services. And why would I go to the guy who offers one course when I can go to the guy who offers 10 courses, all of which have gotten rave reviews? So why would you create a new course? More income possibilities, more uh, potential clients will turn to you for doing what you want, and more chances to upsell, all sorts of good things. Um, Also, I found that as I add new courses, they um, uh, tend to force me to learn new things, which is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the fun parts of my job and my work doing training. And so if I'm learning new things, those can often feed back into my other courses and give me insights and ideas so that I can teach those better as well. So where do you come up with the idea of a new course? Where does it come from? Quite frankly, most of the time it comes from my students. Um, I try really to encourage a lot of interaction in my courses. People come to me not only uh, during the class with questions, you know, raise their hands with questions, but they come to me before, during, and after as well, especially during breaks, during lunch break. People suggest all sorts of different things that I can be teaching where they say, oh, I really wish I could learn X or Y or Z. Now, if you hear that from one person once, okay, you know, that's one person's opinion. But over time, if you're training enough, if you're with clients enough, you will develop a sort of sensitivity to what they're really interested in learning. And you will see patterns in what people want to learn. So perhaps my best example of this is um, about four or five years ago. I, I mean, I always ask people, but four or five years ago, when I would go around the room and ask people why they're taking my course and what they're interested in learning, a growing number of people, it was clear, were taking my Python courses so they, they could use it for data science and machine learning. They were mostly data analytics, but some machine learning as well. Well, when I heard this the first time, I said, oh, that's interesting. But when I heard it 10 or 20 times over the course of many months, I realized, okay, this is something that perhaps would be of use to many companies and many people at these companies. So I guess it was about four years ago that I started to put together my Intro to Data Science and Machine Learning class, which then I called Data Science in Python. And I'll talk more about the naming of courses in a little bit. Um, now, how did I go about then creating the course? Um, well, I first want to double check, is there demand for it? Right? Are people going to be interested in taking this? Because it's very nice to hear this from the students, but they're not the ones paying the bills. Typically, the training department is paying the bills, or their managers are paying the bills. But it became very, very obvious to me very, very quickly that data science is a huge and growing field that is enormously popular, um, and that companies are scrambling as fast as they can to get people to understand data analytics and data science. So it became pretty clear pretty quickly that if I were to offer such a course, there would be a lot of demand for it. People would be really, really interested and exciting in learning that. Um, what I expected was it would be people who had taken my existing Python courses who would want to add to their knowledge with this other data science course. That actually turned out not to be the case always, uh, where there are people who take this data science course who are simply interested in the data science part. They really don't want to learn Python. Now, I happen to think this is a foolish way to go, and I tell them as such, although perhaps not using the word foolish, because, yes, you can do it without knowledge of Python, but you're then missing the infrastructure that will help you to do your work better and faster and easier. But, okay, so I saw that there was demand for the course. I saw that companies were interested in paying for these sorts of things. I saw tremendous growth in both online courses and in-person courses uh, of people who were teaching and learning data science. And, of course, it's hard to miss the growth in that industry. So I said, okay, I think people are going to be interested in this. 
Um, and I asked myself, well, what am I going to call it? And I decided just to call it Data Science in Python. I figured, like, simple, straight-to-the-point course title. That turned out to be a mistake in some ways. And part of the reason is that um, data science is this very ambiguously defined field. So I figured that data science covered analytics and machine learning, both of which are sort of under the umbrella of data science. But people would constantly come to this course when I first started offering it, saying, oh, data science in Python, are we going to be doing machine learning here? Um, and the answer was yes. So after I got this question from enough people in enough places, I realized that perhaps people were learning about my course, say, through my business cards or through my website, and they would not know what I really meant. So I changed the title of the course to Data Science and Machine Learning in Python. Is this a ridiculously long title? Yes, it is. Does it roll off your tongue very quickly? No, it does not. But it describes what's going on. And when I want to teach a course to a company, I basically have to send them a proposal. I have to send them a syllabus. And they're going to send the syllabus around to the CTO, the development managers, also to people saying, hey, who's interested in taking this course? Well, if you have a, I don't want to say a sexy title, but if you have a title that um, answers some of their questions before they've even set room in the classroom, or that says, oh, yes, we want to deal with you know, topic X or Y or Z, well, then they're going to be more likely to hire you and more likely to uh, get people excited about taking your course. So you definitely want to think at least a little bit about the name. But as I've demonstrated with this example, well, I changed the name after I gave the course a few times, and it didn't change things at all. I also teach a course in uh, regular expressions, uh, which... And one company where I offer it, for reasons that are, I guess, obscured by history, the course is called Text Processing with Regular Expressions in Python. So I call this my regex course, right, for regular expressions. They call it the Text Processing course. So do realize that once you give it a name, you and your client um, might not see it as the same name or the same nickname. You might realize that you uh, perhaps should have gone a slight, slightly different route. All right, well, that's fine. So, okay, so we have a basic idea of what we want to teach. We know that there's going to be demand for it. Or we're pretty sure there's going to be demand for it. We even have a name or at least a working title. Um, <clears throat> so where do you start? You've got this blank piece of paper or blank PowerPoint or keynote presentation. Um, where do you start? Well, the thing is you have to decide what people are going to want to learn. And this is known in the education business, setting up the learning goals. What are you expecting people to learn? What are they going to get out of your course? And this is an important part of planning the course, both because it'll help you to focus what you're going to be preparing and how you're going to be preparing it. It's also going to allow you to say in the syllabus, people who take this course will be able to do X and Y and Z afterwards. Um, and that's often a very important part of what the companies want, right? They don't just want to say, oh, yes, you know, Joe Schmo took this course. They want to say, Joe Schmo took this course and as a result was able to. And that return on investment and that additional knowledge and additional skills, that is what companies are looking to get out of your course. So it's not enough to teach them about, say, data science or Python and regular expressions. You want them to be able to use them and work with them. And so setting up the learning goals is important. Um, and those can be ambiguous at first. And little by little, you're going to whittle those down because you're going to discover any learning goal you give is going to be incredibly huge, right? You could take a very, very, very narrow specific topic and give a whole month-long course on it probably, and it'll uh, you know, still have lots of information. Now, you're not going to give a month-long course, right? 30 days of anything is a lot. Um, so you're going to have to decide what you want them to learn, and you're going to have to choose, pick and choose the subtopics within that that are interesting. So where do you get ideas? Um, and this, this is actually an important part of it because you're going to have to spend a lot of time gathering information, doing research. Um, so I know that uh, um, uh, Amy Hoy, 
who has a course called 30 by 500, which is all about how to do online products. She calls this the um, safari or the product safari, I think is what she calls it. And the idea is like, she's, you know, she suggests you go through online forums and blogs and other things, places where people are talking about the subject you want to teach, uh, the subject that you want to have in your course. And you see what people are asking. Now, she does it in a slightly different way than I'm suggesting here. She says you should be going and looking for the pain points. What is bothering people so that you can then build up a product that satisfies the pain? And uh, they, they didn't even have to ask for it. Uh, they don't have to say, I want product X. You can say, here, I'm going to solve problem Y. And then they discover they want product X because their real issue was they had problem Y. In the same way, if you go through a lot of questions and answers on Stack Overflow, on Reddit, on blogs, on forums, although Stack, Stack Overflow and Reddit are my main go-tos, you are going to see there's an overwhelming number of questions on each of these sites. There's no way, no way that you can answer even a tenth of the questions that come up for any topic you can think of or any topic that's worth teaching. Right? There might be some topics that you can come up with that are just too narrowly focused for you to teach. And I should add this as well. You really want to choose something that will be sellable to many companies over time. Um, so you might be the expert in your field at a certain technical point, and it might even be possible to teach an entire month's worth of courses on that point. And it might even be that there'll be a great ROI for them. But if there are only a 50 or hundred users in the world of that technology, um, you're going to run out of students very, very quickly and, or companies very, very quickly who will hire you to do this. So you do have to have the perspective of, well, is this going to be good? Not just for one company once, is it going to be good for a hundred companies? 10 times each. And if so, then you have a big winner. And also, I would not worry about if there's competition. If there's competition, I know we say this on the show a lot and people say this in business a lot. If there's competition, it means there's a market. So, you know, I am definitely not the only person teaching intro and advanced Python courses, not by a long shot. Um, and I've even met when I went to the Python conference, PyCon in the United States in early 2018, um, I met a whole bunch of people who also teach courses. And yes, we are competing with one another. But let's face it, the pie is so huge. And you can only be in one place at a time that there's no way that I could possibly, um, <clears throat> you know, really uh, have to worry about them and what they're doing versus what I'm doing. So you go and you do this product safari, this teaching safari. You find out what are the burning questions that people have, what patterns come up all the time, what data structures are hard for people to understand, what methods are hard for people to understand, what do people mix up all the time. And you will see over time that people are making the same mistakes and having the same questions again and again and again. And those are the questions you want to make sure you answer during your course. So you're going to start to put together your course. You're going to say, here are my learning goals. For each learning goal, right, so this is what I want them to learn. How are we going to get there? You're going to have to have a path from knowing nothing to knowing something on that subject. And that's going to take the form of a variety of different things. You're going to have some lecture. You're going to have some exercises. You have some more exercise. You're going to go through it together. Um, and you will start to put it together. And it's going to feel very bare bones. And that is normal. That is reasonable. You're going to start with a very bare bones course, even if you are a subject matter expert, right? Even if you are a total expert in this area that you're going to be teaching. And you don't have to be to teach, although it certainly helps. You're going to start off with these, like, you know, you're going to start with some basic questions and basic answers. And then using Stack Overflow and Reddit and other places, you can fill them in. You can say, oh, many people ask about X and Y and Z. Or you can give a um, you can give an exercise or two that specifically target the issues that people are having um, from those online questions that you see to make sure that they're not going to make those same mistakes again. And this is a long 
process. It's a long process of reading, a long process of synthesizing, a long process of filtering and understanding what is and is not important to people. Um, and by the way, you will make mistakes, and I'll get to that in a little bit, what you can do when you make mistakes and how you can sort of undo those mistakes or make it less likely that you'll have them. But you definitely do need to like start off somewhere. One technique that I use, and I don't really tend to use many slides in my courses when I'm teaching, but I do use the slides both so they'll have some material to bring with them and so that I can use it as an outline when I'm creating the course. And I tend to use many, 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 um, I use keynote presentations for a given course. Meaning for a day-long course, I will have six or seven or eight different keynote presentations. Could I put all of my slides in one presentation? Absolutely, I could. But each presentation is a different subject. And so this means that I can cover six, seven, eight different subjects in a day. And that forces me to come up with enough information to justify that subject as a standalone topic. It will sometimes happen that I'll see that a subject just like I start a keynote presentation and I can get four, five, ten slides out of it, and that's it. And I say, okay, this is not sufficient to have a topic of its own. Maybe I'll fold it into other things. But it's also possible that I will have a slide or a slide you know, deck presentation that has 60 or 80 or 100 slides because there's so much to deal with. And that's when I say, aha, I need to break this up. I need to deal with it separately, not have it all together. Really what I thought was going to be one topic will be two topics or three topics. Um, and why do I care about topics if I'm just teaching all day? I will typically try to do two or three exercises per topic. And so by keeping the slide decks relatively similar in size, it helps me with my pacing and my timing of the day. It's not like I'm going to have three uh, exercises in an hour on one subject, on one topic, and then none on the next one. Um, I, I really want to have them about everything. I want to have as many exercises as possible. So I start off with all my keynote presentations open, and little by little I add to this slide deck and that slide deck and this slide deck and that slide deck, and you should let it um, sort of come out naturally, and it's almost a brainstorming kind of thing. This is not the final version of your course, and this is part of why it takes so long to put together a course. People are always asking me, how long does it take? So I would say for a first draft of the course, for teaching the first time, you should expect three to four days of preparation per day of teaching, and then it'll be ready for a first draft. It'll be ready for starters. Uh, before I taught my data science course, my family all knows and remembers I was pulling all-nighters. I was working for weeks and weeks and weeks, making sure that I understood as much as possible, knew how to answer as many questions as possible. I was constantly going back to Stack Overflow and Reddit, trying to find, are there any more questions that I've not yet answered that I should deal with, that I should you know, be able to help people with? It just went on and on and on from there until I finally gave it the first time, and I made a lot of mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes. One that thing that was not a mistake was to tell people that this was the first time I was teaching this course. And so by um, being very honest with them, and I said to them, listen, I'm sure there are going to be topics that I don't cover in enough detail. There are going to be other topics I do cover in too much detail. I want you to keep asking questions. I'm going to try to answer them as best as possible. If I cannot, then I will come back to you. I'll email you. It was a multi-day course. So I came back the next day, the second day, the third day, and I was able to answer the questions. Um, Luckily, I teach in Israel, and in Israel, people have no problems with asking lots of questions and very pointed ones at that. So I got a lot of feedback, a lot of, shall we say, tough love, and a lot of questions I could not answer. So, but that's okay. I was honest with them. Um, so my, that client actually marked it as a pilot course. So people coming would know, aha, this is the first time we're doing it, or the first three times we're doing it. Thus, we can uh, expect that it might be a little rough around the edges. Um, and I saw there were topics that I covered in way too much detail for an intro course. There were topics that I just touched on very, very briefly that should have been major pillars of what I was teaching. And there were topics that I said, you know what, 
this just took up too much time. I'm going to put it in my advanced course. And that's part of my process also, that as I see topics are not useful for the course I'm writing, I don't throw them away. I keep them so that in a second course or a third course, I will be able to get that to work. Um, and then I have material for an advanced course as well. A very important point also is to come up with exercises and lots of exercises and good exercises. This is something that over time I've gotten better and better at. Um, like I, know, I can now make up exercises more or less on the fly, uh, which is sort of a fun challenge that I give myself sometimes when giving certain classes. Um, you don't want to do that off the bat. You don't want to do that when you're starting off. And perhaps I'm even foolish to do it during my courses. Um, the thing is, the exercises are where people are really going to learn. It is so easy to say, uh-huh, 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 I understand what's going on. And then a week later, someone asks you a question on that very topic, and you say, oh, I just learned that, but I can't remember what it is. Exercises help to cement the ideas, to concretize what you've learned, put it into a really clear, crystal clear form in your mind, so you can not only store the information, but access the information as well. So you got to have exercises and lots of exercises. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've had lots of conversations and I've written a lot about exercises in the past. Exercises are great for you as well as the instructor. First of all, they do a better job than we ever can speaking. And the more exercises you give, the better, because they're going to learn much more. Um, secondly, it gives you a bit of a break. I mean, even in my courses where they call me over all the time to ask them, there's questions about the exercises that I'm giving them and maybe some solutions, solution tips. It's still easier in many ways and it's less stressful than me just getting up and lecturing. Um, so it's better for me and it's better for them. Um, I've also found that all of my clients in computer companies, they all ask for as many exercises as possible. Um, so the more you can squeeze lecture time out and add uh, exercise time in, the happier your clients will be, the happier the people in your class will be. They'll learn much more as far as I'm concerned. And, um, you know, they'll have less you'll get less pressure to add new exercises. Um, every year, I often say this, I remove content and I add exercises and people are happier and they learn more. So it's a big win overall. Um, in fact, I've got a new Python course, which is just exercises. I mean, I've got my weekly Python exercise, which is the email for individuals, uh, although I'm not doing it for some companies as well. But I also have like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, the exercise that I give uh, in core, and I now have a fully exercised course. It's like a day of just Python exercises. And I've mentioned this to a few of my clients and they're super excited about it. So, um, okay. So you are going to need practice. I know it's going to sound funny. Practice creating exercises. Read as much as you can. Look at sites that have to do with exercises. And it doesn't have to be in the programming language that you are using. If you mean another language, you can just create, uh, translate it over to what you're using. Um, I used to teach much more Ruby. I now teach way, way, way more Python. But when I have to give a, an exercise in my Ruby classes, I'm basically use the exercises that I have in my Python class with some adjustments because the languages are similar enough that it works just fine. So I've got my learning goals set up. I've got some ideas for how to achieve those learning goals. I've got some, uh, you know, lecture. I've got some questions. I've got some exercises. I am all set to start teaching my course. Um, now, in some cases, my clients are always interested in hearing what new courses I have. And when I say that I have something new, they say, yeah, we'd love that. But you're probably going to have to do some marketing. You're going to have to go around and tell people, including, and I would say start with your first clients, your current clients. Say to them, hey, I'm really excited to announce I have this new course that I'm going to be offering starting next month, starting in two months. Would you like to sign up for it? Now, some people might be suspicious of a new course. They might realize, wait a second, are we the guinea pigs? The answer is yes, they are. Um, 
Does that mean it's going to be a bad course? No, it does not. It will not be as good as the 10th time you teach it or the 5th time you teach it or the 50th time you teach it, but it'll be, it'll be better than nothing and they'll still get ROI out of it. So some of your clients might be resistant to being the guinea pigs for this new course. So you can sometimes give them like a, a lower rate. You can say, well, because of the new course, I'm going to charge you less, but you can ask for a return, getting a recommendation, which is of course worth you know quite a lot. Um, so you're going to teach the course, and, and I've, I've had generally my clients are interested in these new courses. Um, not always. Some, some of them less so. Uh, and you can accentuate what you advertise and market, what you mention on your cards, what you mention on your website. You try to generate a little more buzz. You can try to, and I would strongly, strongly recommend doing this, give the material out as webinars. Give the material out as meetup groups. You want to practice the material, practice teaching it as much as possible before you're really teaching it. And I know um, it feels weird to like give away for free part of what you're planning to charge a lot of money for, but I promise you'll be worth it in the end. If you do it online, you'll get people to sign up, I promise, and then you can practice on them. And I, I, I'm going to be really callous and, and, and like snarky here, but like who cares what they say? You're not doing the practice session for the audience. You're doing the practice session for yourself so you feel more comfortable delivering the material. It will help out, um, right? With it, it, it will help you dramatically to practice it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to find out where your explanations are rusty, where your slides are not so good, where you don't really know the materials as well as you thought. Um, when they ask questions, assuming they ask questions, some of them will ask you tough questions that you can incorporate into your course. So the more practice you get teaching the thing you want to teach, the better your teaching will be. And if you can give it away for free or reduce cost to many people on the online at first, then that's even better. So how do you get them, this new course, to your clients? Well, how do you market it? Well, you can just tell them, right? If you're in touch with a few training managers, you can say, hey, I'm really happy to announce this. At the meetups online, you can say, I am a trainer and my latest course is. Someone will probably respond to that. Now, and, and you can also, of course, turn to training managers. This has never been really successful for me, um, but I know that there are people who do it who are better at this than I am, but they can cold call and cold email and get people on the phone or email, and uh, then they start to market their course to them. I would definitely suggest trying this, but I wouldn't put too, met, too much of my faith in this as a technique. Uh, I believe that it's just like <clears throat> you, you should expect that most people are not going to respond kindly to just you know, sort of random mail and try not to spam people on LinkedIn. Uh, I guess I'm on the receiving end of too many things like that. That's really, really, really annoying. So you have your course. It is ready. Your clients are delighted. They're going to pay you tons of money for it. They schedule the first time. You do the first time and you are crushed. You are crushed because it did not go that well. Your explanation, you sort of tripped over your tongue as you were explaining things. You didn't have good answers to some of the questions they asked. They're say, they said to you, why did you teach A, B, and C, and forget all about D, E, and F, which were really important, um, and on and on. Be very patient. Be very kind. Be very grateful for this feedback that they're giving you. I love to teach in Israel because people are not afraid to give feedback, and that is that has served me very, very well. Um, because once I know that I don't get too much harsh feedback from people in Israel, then I can go to Europe and the U.S. and uh, China and teach there and not have to worry that they are, you know, quietly, secretly upset with the way I'm teaching. Um, you know, I, I'd rather they tell me to my face and I get that in Israel in spades. This is going to take weeks or months, probably months, to put together your first course. And so it is a crushing blow that after you've put so much effort into it, so many days and weeks and thinking and reading, the first time is so-so or worse. 
this is where you're going to have to start tweaking and improving. And there is no limit to the amount that you can tweak and improve. Although my general rule is after you teach a course 10 or 20 times, the sort of, it, it, you know, it approaches asymptotically a, a zero or however, however the math term is that I, uh, that I learned many, many years ago. But it approaches zero. Like little by little, you're going to have fewer and fewer changes to make until you can basically just say, okay, this course is ready. I can teach it at the drop of a hat. Uh, by the way, that's what I've started doing with my Python courses. When they are super ready and when it's just super easy for me to teach them, I've started turning them into online courses, video courses that people can buy because I figure it's so, so smooth now that I don't have to worry about the video quality as much and the content is going to be pretty good. So it is going to take uh, time to adjust the course and you're going to change the length. My data science course started with two days, now it's three, then it became three days, now it's four days long. I am, <clears throat> I kid you not, two-thirds of the material is exactly the same. So how can I take a two-day course and make it into a four-day course, besides just speaking slowly, which, as you can imagine, is not a forte of mine? Uh, well, I added lots of new exercises. I had new insights. I had new material. Um, I got rid of a whole lot of junk that's really not necessary. So all that together um, really improved the course. And my exercises improve over time also. I always give my students a, a zip file containing text files that we're going to use for exercises in each of my courses. And those text files can be really, really boring. So it's nice to find files that are you know, interesting and fun to work with in some way or another. You're going to constantly be adjusting. Even when you know, you've been teaching 10, 20, 30 times, you'll make tiny little adjustments. That adjustment, that constantly listening to how others are doing it and doing it on your own even better, it's really, really, really important. Listening is perhaps the most important skill you can have as a freelancer, and especially as an instructor, but not only. So that's how you get your course, and that's how you start it off, and that's how you market it, and that's how you then adjust it and improve it over time. My Intro Python course is basically the same now. It has been for the last, like, two, three years. I've been teaching it for, I guess, close to 10 years now, maybe a little less, but not much less. Um, and I keep making little adjustments, but they are indeed very, very little adjustments. The course is basically set in stone. Um, and so that's how I can do it. Now, um, you might have a few other questions about how to deal with a new course. One is, what if you've never taught before? How do you choose a topic for what you should teach? Right, because I talked about, well, if you're already a subject matter expert in some field, how can you solicit information from your clients or from your students? Um, but if you're not teaching at a certain point, like if you're not teaching now, you're not doing training now, then how would you know what people want? Um, and a lot of that is just like online, going around, going to meetup groups, right, find out what people are really interested in. And that will give you a huge amount of information, way more than you ever thought was possible. You can ask people, right? You can say, what are you interested in learning? And they will probably be happy to tell you. So you can create all sorts of new courses. You just need to sort of think about it in advance. Um, I think, while it's uh, a little shorter than our usual shows, I think I've covered this now in reasonable detail. If you have any questions whatsoever about teaching, about training, uh, you can either contact us here at The Freelancer Show, um, and we'll be happy to address these topics in future episodes for sure. You can contact me personally. My contact information is in the show notes. Um, you can join my weekly mailing list about training as a business, uh, what I call the business logistics and pedagogy of, of training. And uh, every Monday I send out a new note uh, telling people some new insight that I've gained often about how we can improve training. Um, and I, I really hope that all of you will at least try it. Someone just emailed me recently and they said, yeah, this seems like something that's super doable by many people. And that is true. You will need to learn some new skills, but that is okay. And little by little by little, you will improve 
uh, um, and you will, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be better for you, better for your students, better for the companies that are hiring you as well. Um, I guess uh, I should do a pick in addition to what I did already. So my pick is going to be, uh, I bought, uh, I want some new Bluetooth headphones that I can use when I go walking in the morning. And I had some thin ones that I bought last year in New York, and uh, I lost them in a rainstorm. Like I was getting out of a taxi and going to my client's office, uh, and somehow they dropped. So I decided, okay, I'm going to get some big ones, right? Like the big ones that everyone's using nowadays. So I got the Bluteo Turbine uh, noise-canceling Bluetooth headphones, and I am delighted. I'm sure someone with a better uh, audio sense than mine would you know, put their nose up in the air saying, oh, no, the audio, it doesn't have the high highs and the low lows and the medium mediums that you really want to have. Maybe. But I mostly listen to podcasts with a smattering of music as well. And it is, um, like, you know, more than adequate for those needs. The noise canceling has been nice when I'm on a train or on a plane. It's not perfect, but it's certainly pretty good. Um, and I got them on AliExpress. I'm sure they're available elsewhere as well. And I definitely encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, one caveat is they don't fit super snugly on the head. So it's more than enough for, you know, good enough for me walking. But my son was asking if he could maybe use my headphones, right, as if I would lend them to him, right? But yeah, he was asking if he could use my headphones when he's doing things like, um, you know, working out. Uh, and I told him, no, it's probably going to, like, drop off. Because they are tight on the head, but not super, super snug. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do not hesitate to get in touch with me if you have questions, comments about training. Um, as I've told many, many people over the last few years, Moving into training as opposed to development was one of the best decisions I ever made in my professional career. Um, I'm making more money and enjoying myself more than ever before. And I don't get those phone calls at night saying the website is down. And I don't need to start justifying my costs as much because it is practiced consulting in so many ways. You want my four-day course? Here's the price. You want my three-day course? Here's the price. So on and so forth. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back, I think, with a full panel this coming week. And uh, let me know if you have questions, and I'll see you next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.